we're going to read from the Bible now. And I'm reading Matthew chapter 28, verses 16 to 20, which you can see on the screen behind me. Then the eleven disciples went to Galilee, to the mountain where Jesus had told them to go. When they saw him, they worshipped him, but some doubted. Then Jesus came to them and said, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Therefore go and make disciples of all nations, baptising them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you. And surely I am with you always to the very end of the age. Thanks, Janine, for the Bible reading. Uh, let me pray, and uh, then we'll hear about Matthew's last five verses. Lord Jesus, we thank you for your word, and we thank you for Matthew's gospel that we've been studying for many weeks now. We praise you um, for these last five verses, and we ask that, Lord, we can listen to what you're saying to us and we thank you for this passage, Lord. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. For anyone who doesn't know me, my name's Anthony. Um, and um, it's a pleasure to finish off the Matthew series uh, with the Great Commission, which is a short passage, but there's a lot in there. Um, so, yeah. Now, does anyone remember the TV series Lost? It screened for six seasons from 2004 to 2010. So maybe some of you have never heard of it, but it wasn't that long ago. It's about a plane that crashes on a tropical island and it's the story of what happens to the survivors. Each season, new and mysterious features of the island would appear. Things like an underground laboratory, uh, a smoke monster, whatever that is, and other people, different groups who live on the island who were already there. It's very complex and hard to follow show. It's kind of like that series where they came up with a great pilot and it was hugely successful and then they kind of went, what do we do now because we've got to fill in all these shows. Because, you know, when I watched it, I, I was lost pretty, pretty quickly. But it did generate a lot of fan theories about what it was actually about. Um, some of them were, the whole show's a dream. Maybe. <laughs> um, the island is a giant laboratory. The survivors are in a time loop. My personal favourite, the island exists at the point of impact of a meteor hitting the earth, and that's why the island has such strange powers. A lot of creativity there. And finally, all the survivors of the plane crash actually died and the island is purgatory. So, that's some of the theories. But when we come to Matthew, his book, The Gospel, it was written with a purpose and he knew before he started what the end would be. And last week, 
we heard about the greatest moment in history that Jesus is risen. Jesus is risen. Now, shouldn't Matthew just stop there? Isn't that the climax? But he doesn't. And so why doesn't he? Well, there's much more to the story. And the greatest moment in history leads us to to worship. And that's what these last five verses are ultimately about. That's why Matthew ends his book with the Great Commission. Matthew 28, verses 16 to 20. God wants everyone to know that Jesus died and rose again and therefore to worship him. So let's look at the passage in more detail. The disciples worshipped Jesus when they saw he had risen from the dead. So verse 17 says, when they saw him, they worshipped him. A few verses earlier, uh, when the women see Jesus risen, they worshipped him as well. In verse 9, suddenly Jesus met them. Greetings, he said. They came to him, clasped his feet and worshipped him. So when you hear the good news of Jesus rising again, what is your reaction? Because that's what God wants to know. But in this passage, why did they worship Jesus? And I think there's two reasons given. Firstly, in verse 18, as Janine read, Then Jesus came to them and said, All authority on heaven and on earth has been given to me. So throughout Matthew's Gospel, Matthew has been building a picture of Jesus' authority. He teaches with authority. In Matthew's Gospel, Jesus regularly says things like, you have heard it said, like through the Sermon on the Mount, which is teaching repeated from someone else. Someone's taught that and then they've heard it and they've heard it and they've heard it. But then Jesus says, but I tell you. And he contrasts his new original teaching, which has his own authority, authority from him. So Jesus, being God, teaches with authority. Jesus has authority over nature. He can stop storms with a word. So Jesus is the creator and maintainer of everything. He has the authority to forgive sins and to heal. When he healed the paralytic, he did it to show that the Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sins. So Jesus is the judge. He has authority over demons and Satan. Jesus is all-powerful. And now Jesus shows the disciples that he has authority over death. In fact, Jesus has authority over all our enemies, sin, death and Satan. Jesus has all authority, universal, eternal authority. So it's the same now as it was back then in the first century. And that's what leads people today to respond to him with worship and obedience because he's the son of God. So do you believe Jesus has all authority? And if so, how do you respond? Chapter 28 um, 
in chapter 28, how does Jesus show us this authority? To, to understand this, we need to understand what Jesus has just done. There's a big issue blocking um, the relationship between God and humanity, and that's sin. No one leads a perfect life, and because we all sin, um, God's standard, though, is perfection. And if we don't reach that standard, we will be punished. And punished is separation from God. So we're at an impasse. We can't reach God's standard of perfection, but neither can God neglect sin. He must punish us. But God is also loving and he had a plan from the beginning. God will take the punishment that our sins deserve on himself. And that's what Jesus does by dying on the cross. And the fact that Jesus rose again from the dead shows that his payment for those sins has been accepted. So now everything has been done to make our relationship right with God forever. All we need to do is accept Jesus' authority. So Jesus has shown us that he has authority over sin and death, over everything. So what's the second reason the disciples worship Jesus? Do we expect kindness from our friends and family? I think we do. But love really shows through when we don't deserve it when it's shown by people that, have let us down, that we've let down. There's only one place in the Gospels where Jesus talks about his own heart, in Matthew 11, verse 29. And there Jesus says that his heart is gentle and humble. Now, gentleness is not weakness, because remember, Jesus chose to die on the cross. The disciples worship Jesus because of his kindness, because of his love for them. In humility, Jesus being God died in their place and in our place. And he also shows his love in a special way in Matthew 28. Remember, what had the 11 disciples recently been doing? Did they support Jesus through his crisis? Were they with him to tend his wounds and pray with him in the garden? Were they with him when he was executed? The answer to all those questions is no. They scattered and fled when he was arrested. Peter even denied him three times. But what does Jesus call his disciples now after his resurrection? Well, verse 10 tells us. Verse 10 says, Then Jesus said to them, Do not be afraid. Go and tell my brothers to go to Galilee. There they will see me. So brothers. What a great term. It's a term of restoration. Even though the disciples abandoned Jesus, Jesus doesn't abandon the disciples. In fact, now they are more than his disciples, they are Jesus' brothers. Jesus forgives them because he paid the punishment for their sins on the cross. And Jesus has not forgotten us either. If we accept Jesus as our saviour, 
we are now brothers and sisters of Jesus as well. Our punishment for our sins has been paid in full and nothing can change our status with Jesus now. We are family and God wants more people in his family. But did you also notice from the reading that some doubted? Have you ever doubted Jesus? For me, I doubt Jesus when I don't speak to others about what he's done for us by rising from the dead. I take my eyes off him. But even the disciples doubted Jesus after his resurrection. Verse 17, when they saw him, they worshipped him, but some doubted. Why doubt? Why did the disciples doubt? I mean, they are here seeing Jesus in the flesh and they doubt. There's not a lot to go on in this verse, or is there? Matthew uses the same word for doubt in one other place in his gospel. Let's read Matthew 14, or let me read Matthew 14, 22 to 32. Immediately Jesus made the disciples get into the boat and go on ahead of him to the other side while he dismissed the crowd. After he had dismissed them, he went up on a mountainside by himself to pray. And later that night, he was there alone and the boat was already a considerable distance from the land, buffeted by the waves because the wind was against it. Shortly before dawn, Jesus went out to them walking on the lake. When the disciples saw him walking on the lake, they were terrified. It's a ghost, they said, and they cried out in fear. But Jesus immediately said to them, Take courage, it is I, don't be afraid. Lord, if it's you, Peter replied, tell me to come to you on the water. Come, he said. Then Peter got down out of the boat, walked on the water and came toward Jesus. But when he saw the wind, he was afraid and, and beginning to sink, he cried out, Lord, save me. Immediately, Jesus reached out his hand and caught him. You have little faith, he said. Why do you doubt? And when they climbed into the boat, the wind died down. Then those who were in the boat worshipped him, saying, Truly, you are the Son of God. Peter sees Jesus walking on the water and is terrified. But Jesus says, Don't be afraid. Peter listens to his word and straight away wants to walk on water as well. He has faith in Jesus' words. But then he starts to sink and he cries out to Jesus. And Jesus holds out his hand to help Peter. He loves Peter. He wants Peter to keep his eyes on him and to not be afraid of the things that Jesus can control like the wind and the waves. And Jesus wants us to hold on to his word and to his hand when we doubt. So in Matthew 28, there is a lot for the disciples to take in. Jesus was recently killed and they all deserted him. They abandoned him in their fear of, of um, pain and death. But now, here he is in the flesh. So what from this passage can help us when we doubt? When we doubt, when we hesitate, it's always good to have someone with us. 
and verse 20, Jesus says, and surely I am with you to the very end of the age. Jesus is relational. Like when Jesus held out his hand to Peter, Jesus is with us. And from the start of Matthew's gospel, this is what Matthew teaches. Matthew chapter 1 verse 23 says, The virgin will conceive and give birth to a son, and they will call him Emmanuel, which means God with us. This was Jesus' plan from the start. And he gives us another clue of this in Matthew 28. Verse 19. Baptising them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. Jesus tells the disciples to baptise people in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, each member of the Trinity. So why not just in the name of Jesus, which it says numerous times in other passages? I think Matthew is highlighting that Jesus, that God, sorry, is relational. In fact, he was relational before creation. Before creation, God already had all the love and connectedness that he needed with each member of the Trinity. The Trinity was in perfect relationship with each other. So if the Trinity has perfection, why did God create us? Well, God wants to share that love and joy and happiness that he has with others. God wants to share his glory with us. Sin broke our relationship with God, but now Jesus is risen, and so God wants all people to share in this restored relationship. This was God's plan before creation, and what good news it is. And being relational, God wants everyone to worship him and to be in his presence. And that's why he commands us in verse 19, therefore go and make disciples of all nations, baptising them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit and teaching them to obey everything I commanded you. But does the command to make disciples conjure up for you a a to-do list? It does for me sometimes, but there's so much more to it than that. This is God's expressed desire for all to know that they have an offer of a restored relationship with him. And who better than those who have accepted that restored relationship to tell others about it? God's main method to bring people to him is using his word through us, through people, through relationships. So what about all nations? Why go to other places? What does this mean? Let's look at the context. Jesus rises from the dead in Jerusalem, appears to the women and tells them to tell the disciples to meet him in Galilee. I can imagine the disciples thinking, but Jesus, Galilee is 100 miles away. So that's like from Sydney to Port Stephens or Sydney to Jervis Bay. It's a long walk. Why there? Can't we just meet in a cafe in Jerusalem? No, it's Galilee. Remember I said before that Jesus had a plan from the beginning. 
In Genesis chapter 12, God promised Abraham that he would be a blessing to all nations. And that blessing's through Jesus. And Matthew highlights this throughout his gospel that Jesus comes to bless all people. Like when the Magi come and worship baby Jesus and Jesus heals the son of the Roman centurion and the daughter of the Canaanite woman, he commends their faith in him. Jesus' plan was never to just save the Jews, but it's always been to save people from all nations. And in Matthew 28, Jesus makes the big announcement of a new command to make disciples in Galilee. So why Galilee? Well, in Matthew chapter 4, verse 15, Galilee is described as Galilee of the Gentiles. It's an area populated by Gentiles. Gentiles just means people who are not Jews, so everyone else. This is where Jesus started his ministry, and so going to Galilee is symbolic of all people being invited into God's family, not just the Jews. The ministry of Jesus, that Jesus started has not finished yet, and that's why this command is so important. Jesus wants people from all nations to hear his gospel and become disciples. So what does it mean to go? Jesus works through relationships. So to start with, where do you have relationships? At school, at work, at home, at sport, in your community? We all have relationships with people that don't know Jesus. But also, where do people not know Jesus? At school or at work or at home or at sport or in the community? Yes, and in all the nations. Jesus trained the disciples for three years. Some went on to make disciples locally, but many went to the nations as well. Originally, the disciples fled when Jesus was arrested, but in Acts, they willingly go. Jesus' res resurrection changes everything. So how can you build relationships with others who don't know Jesus? But don't forget, because he is loving and relational, he will always be with us. The Holy Spirit is in the heart of each believer, so God's Spirit is with us always. So lastly, what are disciples? Firstly, they understand who Jesus is, they worship him, and they, they identify as part of his family. Discipleship then continues on the relational mode as one Christian is taught about Jesus by another. Verse 20 says, teaching them to obey everything I commanded you. Jesus doesn't just want converts. He wants disciples. Disciples are people who understand his teachings, but then teach others. Jesus has already taught the disciples. And so the summary of his teaching is from Matthew 22, verses 36 to 40, which says... Teacher, which is the greatest commandment of the law? 
Jesus replied, Love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind. This is the first and greatest commandment. And the second is like it. Love your neighbour as yourself. All the law and the prophets hang on these two commandments. So love God and love others. That's the summary of Jesus' teaching. Again, can you see the relational focus? Love God, love others. How do we love God? We love him by worshipping him. When you recognise Jesus' identity, Matthew teaches that the response is to worship him. The Magi, the wise men, worshipped Jesus in Matthew 2 because he was the coming Messiah. The disciples worshipped Jesus in Matthew 14 because he is the Son of God. And now in Matthew 28, the women and the disciples worship Jesus because he has conquered death. He's the one with all authority. The other way we love God is by obeying him. And Jesus teaches that the simplest way to do this is to love your neighbour as yourself. How do we do this? In Matthew's Gospel, Jesus says, Be merciful, love your enemies, pray for them, and do to others what you would have them do to you. But in all these things, God desires your heart, not a to-do list. Disciples are not primarily people that know stuff. They are people with gentle and humble hearts who love God and love others. So Jesus taught the disciples his identity as he lived with them and interacted with others. And Matthew documents this. And the disciples respond to the Son of God with worship. They considered Jesus' resurrection so amazing that it changed their reaction to life from one of fear to of having the confidence in the truth that Jesus is risen. And this is news for all people and God wants us to share in the joy of seeing others come to know this as well.